aggression. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Episode 12 of Ruthless Recap. I am joined by the Alex Reynolds to my John Silver, Damon. What's up, everybody? And the next big thing, Dean. Dean, how you doing? You know, I feel like I'm doing pretty good today. I actually enjoyed this pay-per-view, and I'm actually interested to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Well, that's good. We are here for our, I guess, technically our third pay-per-view review, WWE Unforgiven 2002. Let's jump right into this, uh, son of a gun. Too much is not enough. Nobody said this stuff makes any sense. We're hooked again. The point of no return. See how the buildings burn. WWE Unforgiven 2002, September 22nd. 2002 staples center in los angeles california dean what was the number one song on the billboard top 40 this week uh shit see this is the problem with being a loser like me i don't know pop culture um was it hey so it's just 2002 was it uh was justin timberlake trying to bring uh candy back uh if he was no one cared yet because that's not it okay uh, Dan- I- I legit have no idea. I'm sorry, guys. Damon, what's the song? Man, I couldn't. I can't even tell you. Like 2002 artists. Was it something Black Eyed Peas? <laughs> no. Okay. Actually, okay, let's let's say this. Give us a genre. Oh, fu- I don't know. Probably. Oh, fu- I haven't listened to the song. Probably rap or R and B. Okay. Damn. Uh, hmm. Okay, tell us the artists. I know I'll probably give it away, but still. It'll just give it away. I'll just tell you. Okay. It was Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland. Really? Okay, you know, for some reason, I thought that song was older than that. I've I thought never that, heard I, that song in my life. I straight up thought it was a 90s song. Huh, okay. Uh, sure. What movies were in theaters at this time? Well, we already know one of them because it was the sponsor of Raw, Barbershop. Never heard of it. Uh, signs. Remember Signs? Yeah, it had, uh, you know, that's one of those movies where, like, I enjoyed it for what it was, and then, like, like the reveal of the of the weakness came, and I'm like, yeah, water? really? Like, like what about water in the atmosphere? Like, it'd be like, and, I, and I, I'm stealing this from somebody else, but this is a review I saw. Like, some, like, the person said, that'd be like if we decided to invade a lava planet naked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we also have My Big Fat Greek Wedding and Spirited Away. Oh, wow. theaters okay. at the time. Okay. What video games were out? Uh, the original Kingdoms, uh, Kingdom Hearts had just been released six days prior. Uh, the first Sly Cooper and Tekken 4 would drop on Monday after Unforgiven. And uh, this one will be close to Damon's heart. Spyro 2 Seasons of Flames would drop on the 25th of September. Now, to clarify, Season of Flame was actually a Game Boy Advance game. Was it? Yes, yeah. because... The actual Spyro 2 was Ripto's Rage, and that was, re- re- I think that was released on the PlayStation back in the 90s or like, I think that was like late 90s. Yeah. Season of Flame was like a random spinoff that I think I had Season of Ice on Season of Flame, so that's a different story. Personally, in 2002, I was too busy playing Song Adventure 2, the GameCube port specifically. Good shit. Yeah, I, I, sure. I don't know what Man, games you, are anymore. Yeah, you see. See, that's the thing. You named all those games, and I'm like, damn, we're actually talking about things from that era I know about. Yeah. Uh, we get a video package to kick off the show. Uh, it's some woman with, like, a witchy kind of voice 
running down the big matches and the storylines going into the show. Uh, she talks about Bischoff versus Stephanie, Brock versus Undertaker, and RBD versus Triple H. Uh, how did you guys feel about the Unforgiven set this year? I liked it. I mean, it was like kind of simplistic, but different enough. Yeah, I thought it was okay. Like, it didn't really pop out to me, but I liked it enough. For whatever reason, this stage feels more like the Ruthless Aggression era than the SummerSlam set did. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely and I agree. think it's because they'd used that SummerSlam set like a couple of times at this point. Yeah. yeah. Or at least something very some, similar. This, at least this is before SummerSlam's colors sucked. What, with like the orange? No, like, yeah, I don't know. They We're in the era of sim- overly simplified logos. I'll just put it that way. Oh, that's totally fair. Our first contest, the Un-Americans, all four of them take on Booker T, Goldust, Bubba Ray Dudley, and Kane. Uh, I separated Booker T and Goldust this time because they came out separately, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, We get a light USA champ before any of the faces even come out. Uh, Goldust does get a pretty big pop uh, because he's billed from Hollywood, California. The story of the match. Uh, Does anyone want to attempt to run down the story of the match? Because well, I have it. But well, like... first, the big show decided he was the greatest wrestler of all time. Now that and is Bubba true. Ray, Bubba Ray Dudley and him were feuding together. And that interlocked in the most epic, complicated storyline ever ever told where Big Show left the story and the Un-Americans took their place. And then JBL got involved, but then he got injured. And then Booker T decided he wanted to be the most American-American. Goldust wanted to fight for his freedom. And... Then uh, Bradshaw, I don't know. I guess he decided he was going to leave and go, like, start wearing cowboy hats. So you're saying we need to invade Iran? <laughs> yes, Jesus exactly. Christ. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, the Un-Americans of Storm, Test, and Christian have been feuding with Book Dust uh, ever since we started covering the shows in July of 2002. The night after SummerSlam, uh, Kane actually returned from an injury to stop the Un-Americans from lighting the American flag on fire. <gasps> Two weeks before Unforgiven, William Regal joined the Un-Americans by screwing Kane and Bradshaw out of beating Storm and Christian for the tag titles. Six days prior to Unforgiven, Bubba and Spike were cheated out of winning the tag titles themselves. All of this led to Booker T challenging the Un-Americans to this match on the go-home edition of Raw. Uh, Goldust and Christian start the match off. We get a loud USA chant. Lockup and Christian gets the advantage with a knee to the gut. Uh, Whip reversed and Christian is hit with a she calls it the rear view a gut kick back bump and a punch by gold dust for a two count christian with a knee to the gut and storm gets tagged in whipped to the ropes by both tag champs and gold dust has a double clothesline on them bubba's tagged in and him and gold dust both hit the bionic elbow on storm and christian uh it was kind of cool seeing gold dust do his dad's move uh bubba and gold dust punch uh regal and test off the apron respectively we get a jawjacker and a European uppercut by Storm to Bubba Ray Dudley. Punches in the corner and a choke by Storm. Whip reversed and Storm is put into the tree of Joey Lawrence. Two chops by Bubba and Regal ducks a clothesline on the apron, but Christian actually gets hit with it. Regal punches Bubba in the back of the head. Uh, Storm has a whip reversed and Bubba hits a flapjack for a two count. Uh, Gold Dust tagged in, whip reversed, and Christian trips up Gold Dust. Christian throws Goldust into the barricade, then back into the ring, and Test gets tagged in. Back elbows in the corner by Test, and then some stomps. Whip Test the... was, like, going going crazy on these. Yo, Test was actually, like, the best part of this match. Yeah, I won't even disagree. I can't even disagree. 
I, I mean, I hate to rag on William Regal some more, but he just kind of was there again. Yeah. Uh, whips the ropes. Goldust ducks a clothesline, hits a flying clothesline of his own. Booker tagged in. He gets a big pop. Punches the test. Whip reverse in a flying forearm by Booker. Regal comes in, gets hit with a shitty-looking super kick. Uh, Christian gets punched off the apron, and then Tess just attacks Booker from behind. Whip Susie, reverse- what is it with? I'm sorry to interrupt. Like, what is it with Booker T and William Regal and like not doing good super kicks? Seriously, I, like it seems like every time he super kicks Regal, it looks bad. I don't think Regal wants to take the back bomb, brother. <laughs> yeah, that's on Regal. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, whip reversed by Booker, and he hits a crescent kick, and that only gets a one count because Regal breaks it up. Uh, there's a weird moment after this where like nobody knows what to do, and Regal kind of just awkwardly whips Booker to the ropes. Uh, Booker holds on and Bubba gets in while the ref Nick Patrick is arguing with the heels. Body slam by Bubba and a was up headbutt by Booker. Uh, well, Bubba, the, well, hang on, hang on. You got you. Do you know why Booker T was the one who did it though? Because he's black. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to have the black guy do it. Well, yeah, because then Bubba's racist ass tells Booker to get the tables. Exactly. See, and then, but but then that's the weird part. I think he was just trying to show, like, I think he was trying to assert his dominance because he tells Booker to get the tables, but then Bubba and Booker go to do it. Yeah, that was like a weird power play thing by Bubba. It was a little toxic to me. <laughs> that's the word of the day today. Yeah. Um. While the ref tells Bubba to you know quit getting a table. Uh, Storm and Christian actually baseball slide the table into Booker's face. I thought that was a pretty cool spot. Yeah, I, I like that because it actually it actually felt like Bubba walked away from the table in a way that didn't feel forced, so Booker T getting the brunt of the bump felt actually like it made sense. Yeah. Uh, Storm throws Booker back in the ring, and Test and Booker are the legal men, if you didn't remember. Uh, yeah, I forgot at this point. I'm not going to lie. I had to, like pause and think for a second i was like wait who were the legal guys like two minutes ago like even when we get to the finish i had to rem- i had to remind myself okay who's the legal people right now yeah Espe- especially at the end uh, we get a we want tables chant in the corner uh and some back elbows and punches by test whipped to the opposite corner and a clothesline for a two count regal tagged in and get some forearms for a two count we get a t-bone suplex by regal for a two Christian tagged in, gut kicks, and a snapmare followed by a headlock by Christian onto Booker. Uh, Booker gets out of that with some back elbows, off the ropes, and a kitchen sink uh, hits Booker T. And it's not even a one count. Goldust is already there to break it up. Whipped to the corner, and Booker goes up uh, and into a corkscrew roll-up attempt that gets a two count. Clothesline ducked and a spine buster by Booker. Both men are down at this point. Uh, Storm gets tagged in, and Kane gets the hot tag. Punches the storm, whipped to the ropes, and a back body drop to storm. Punch to Regal and an uppercut to test. Uh, clothesline in the corner to storm and a clothesline to Regal. Sidewalk slam to test. And a tilt-to-roll slam to Lance Storm only gets a one count when Regal breaks it up. And then all hell breaks loose and everybody's just brawling in the ring. Uh, and everyone is nice enough to quickly leave the ring so Kane can, Kane and Regal can stay in there so Regal can get hit with a big boot. Uh, Kane ducks the big boot by test. Kane goes for the snake eyes, but Test gets down and hits a really impressive pump handle slam. Like, Kane didn't jump up high enough for it, but Test fucking made sure he got up there for it. Yeah, I actually watching that, it looked like Kane didn't really help much at all. It looks like Test really just had to, like, just hulk him up up there. Yeah. Uh, Test goes for a full Nelson slam on Booker, 
but Booker gets out with a kick to the gut and he hits the scissors kick and a spin a Rooney. Christian in and a reverse DDT on Booker. Goozle on Christian by Kane, but Storm breaks it up. Storm has his foot caught when going for the super kick. He spun around and goozled, but Christian low blows Kane. And then Storm hits his super kick, but only for a two count. A Booker in and he hits the side kick on Storm. Booker goes to sidekick Christian, but Christian ducks and Booker is pushed out of the ring. Get a Bubba bomb onto Christian. Regal punches Bubba out of the ring and Regal uh, follows him. The ref is distracted by Regal and Bubba on the outside of the ring. So Goldust uh, uses this as an opportunity to hit the Golden Globes on Christian. You know, that's still one of those moves I look at and I'm like, I question, like, it seems like how legal it is depends on whether the referee's watching or not. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, like, it seems like the way Goldust was doing it, it was implied that it was illegal, but, like, the refs, other refs have seen it plenty of times. Like, Goldust never had to hide it before. I don't know. It, it, I, I still have weird feelings about that move. That's fair. Uh, Test hits a nasty-looking big boot on Goldust. Uh, and then I – oh, yes, I, I, I was a little confused here. I put flying clothesline to Test, and I was like, there's 12 people in this fucking match. I don't know who did it. Kane did. Uh, we get an awkward pause while Storm and Kane just kind of stare at each other. Yeah, I thought maybe like Storm was like trying to like position for the super kick, but I kept waiting like, okay, he's gonna kick him now. He's gonna he's gonna kick him now, kick now. But he just it just kept delaying and. Delaying. I'm pretty sure Regal missed his spot because uh, yeah. because Storm misses the super kick and then Kane choke slams him, and then Kane just randomly punches Regal and then covers Storm to win. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. what? I Ooh, think man. Regal missed I, I, something. I hate, I, I hate that we have to keep saying negative things about William Regal. Yeah, because he's really fucking good most yeah. of the time. He's like, he's not been good since we started watching, though. That's a sad thing. Yeah. Uh, Bubba pulls the American flag out from under the ring, and the faces celebrate with it. How would you guys feel about this match? You know, you know it, it, oh, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Damon. I was, I was just going to say, uh, you know, it's better than I thought it would be. Like, I didn't give much of a shit about any of this but I can't hate on the match too much. Yeah, I, I don't care about this storyline at all. I don't care about this feud. Um, honestly, I would probably care more about Booker T and Goldust if they were doing something else. But at the same time, for, for the match by itself, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. I, it was fine. I, Regal was really bad, like we've talked about. He was super sloppy. There was a couple of weird spots where people didn't know what to do. Uh, test looked like a fucking beast in this match. Oh yeah, and the table never even got used. Well, you know, see that's that's the other sad thing about being Bubba Ray is like you can't escape the table thing, but you can't use tables in a regular match. So what the hell do you do? Uh, Post match beatdown. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we cut backstage, and we see Stephanie McMahon. Uh, she's talking to someone or some people off screen. Uh, she tells them that when they beat Rosie and Jamal tonight, it's more than just a victory. It's about pride, respect, and redemption. That's when Billy jumps in and says, uh, it's so you don't have to French kiss a lesbian tonight. Uh, and Chuck says, when Raw loses, Eric can kiss Stephanie's ass. And Stephanie likes that. I still just don't feel like Eric Bischoff loses in that scenario. Oh, he loses. Don't worry. He fucking loses. Uh, well, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, we'll get there. Our next contest, Chris Jericho takes on Ric Flair for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Uh, why was the champ out first? Because it's Ric Flair, man. Okay. Ric Flair's Ric Flair's 16-time champion. He always comes out second, man. Unless he doesn't. Ah, uh, yes. 
uh, story of the match, Flair defeated Jericho last month at SummerSlam. And since then, Jericho has talked about getting his redemption against Flair. When Jericho actually won the Intercontinental title from RVD on the Go Home episode of Raw, Jericho said he was finally ready for his rematch. And here we are. Uh, Flair got the purple boots on. I think they're cool. I, 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 yeah, I like them too. Sorry, I thought you were going to say more. Yeah, I like the purple boots too. Yeah, yeah. dig it. Uh, we get a lockup and Jericho and Flair jockey for position in the corner. Jericho smacks Flair in the face and Flair actually retaliates, uh, which gets Jericho off of him. Lockup and Jericho with a headlock off the ropes and shoulder tackle by Chris Jericho. Flair drops down and then Flair throws Jericho over the top into the apron. Jericho up top and he goes for the nothing and Flair punches him in the gut and he punches Jericho in the gut so hard he takes a flip bump off of it. See, see, I, 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 I'm laughing because you said he went for the nothing, but like that, that's, that's just a thing people do sometimes where it's like, oh, I need them to counter me coming off the rope. Let me go for nothing. Bro, like literally what is stopping them from just putting their fucking hands together like a double axe? It would actually make it at least look somewhat plausible. Yeah. Um, we get some chops by Flair, whip reverse, and Jericho goes for a dropkick, but Flair catches the legs and goes for the figure four. But Jericho boots Flair off into the outside of the ring and we get the triangle dropkick by Jericho. Uh, Jericho to the outside, and he's punching Flair. Flair's thrown back in, and Jericho goes up top and hits a missile dropkick for a two-count. He starts slapping around a downed Ric Flair. Choke on the ropes by Jericho. He does that. I still don't know what you call it, that flying hip attack. Well, see, also, before that, I noticed, like, he did this thing where he was, like, holding Ric on the ropes, but he, was, he wasn't, like, pulling up on the middle rope and pushing Ric down. He was pulling up on the bottom rope which Rick wasn't even touching. And I kept looking at him like, that doesn't look like it's doing anything, Chris. Chris Jericho is just such, like, he's so good with those 1,004 holds that, like, you just couldn't understand how that move works. Fair enough. Well, see, that's why we need to bring back Dean Malenko. My man, Seek Lopez. Uh, how do you feel about Jericho doing that foot shimmy dance? Love it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it, too, yeah. I love it, too. Uh, we get some punches in the corner. And then Jericho puts on a really shitty-looking, abdominable stretch. I don't want this guy doing any submission if it isn't the fucking walls I've figured out. His submissions look like shit. It's interesting because, I don't know, like, you would think he'd be a little better at that, but not really. Yeah. Uh, Flair gets out of that abdominable stretch uh, with a hip toss. We get some chops by Flair into the corner, and I poke by Chris Jericho so Jericho can get the advantage back. Whip to the opposite corner and Flair does that bump up and over to the apron. Flair ducks a clothesline and hits a punch of his own. Flair back in the ring, a chop, and Jericho goes head first. This was a crazy bump. Jericho, he's grabbed by the back of the hair and Flair is running him to the corner and he throws him and like usually, you know, you'd hit your head off the turnbuckle pad. Yeah, Jericho decided to hit his head off the top of the turnbuckle post and bump to the outside. That shit was wild. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Flair to the outside, and he throws Jericho into the steps. We get a chop, and Jericho's thrown back in. Flair follows and hits the knee drop. I'll be a snapmare, and Flair actually goes to the second rope to hit a knee drop for a two count. Uh, chop and punches in the corner. Whip to the opposite corner, and Jericho jumps up to the second rope just to get chop blocked by Flair. Uh, we get a back suplex into a knee breaker by Flair. Uh, he goes for the figure four, but Jericho reverses with a small package for a two count. 
chop and whip reverse, and Jericho hits a back elbow. Jericho goes for the lion soul, but he lands on his feet, and he immediately grabs at his knee. Uh, and Jericho, he keeps telling Flair, you know, get off me. And Flair isn't sure if he should keep wrestling or not. Uh, referee Charles Robinson calls for trainers to come to the ring to check on Jericho. And as the ref and Flair waits for the trainer to come to the ring, Jericho just springs up. He puts Flair in the walls of Jericho to retain the Intercontinental title. That dirty cheat. Uh, how'd you guys feel about this match? I want to hear Damon's opinion first. That's fair. Um, I'm trying... I'm trying to think back to their SummerSlam match, but this is probably the best showing I've seen from Flair so far during our little review, our little run. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I thought for the most part, it was a pretty good match as well. Damn, Would you okay. put this match over Flair and Triple H for the title on Raw? Oh, I would. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah I would. I would too. Hmm. I thought I, I actually really, I actually really like this match believe it or not really okay i yeah. i didn't hate it i thought it was decent like it wasn't bad but it was it was like six minutes so it wasn't very long uh i i tight i wrote here that i really like the story of jericho out dirtying the dirtiest player in the game uh real simple and it, it plays into that story they've been doing with flair just not having it anymore and I don't know if this is true or not. I remember in Jericho's book, he talked about like at some point they were getting ready to have a match. And I don't know if it was this match specifically. It might've not been, but it could have been where Rick really just wasn't feeling it anymore. And he just felt like he couldn't do what he used to. And Chris Jericho is flat looked at him and said, going to cut that shit out. You're Rick fucking flair. And, yeah, uh... and that's like, and he's like, Rick's like, yeah, I needed to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, I think Triple H actually has a pretty similar story. Um, I guess this is kind of spoilers for later on throughout Ruthless Recap, but he says that the idea of putting them together and making evolution was because he would see Flair sitting backstage just looking depressed as hell. Uh, like he didn't yeah. look like he wanted to be there. He knew he was getting old. And Triple H said he also had to kind of tell him, like, dude, you're fucking Ric Flair. Like, you, we know you still got more. You can, You still have something to offer. I mean, honestly, even at his age, like he still wrestles better than most people could. I'm not saying. Oh he's put, yeah. I'm not saying he can put on matches he could 20 years ago, but he still can wrestle better than most people you could put in the ring. Yeah. We cut backstage to Bischoff's office, and he's talking to Three Minute Warning. Uh, he says that with what Jericho did a flare tonight, it is their night tonight. Bischoff says that not only is Three Minute Warning representing Raw. They're representing Eric Bischoff. Uh, He says that to make things even more in their favor tonight, he brought in the guy that knows Billy and Chuck better than anybody, and that would be Rico. Uh, So Rico will be in three-minute warnings corner tonight. Rico says he knows Billy and Chuck inside and out, and Bischoff makes a goofy face because ha-ha. Rico says three-minute warning uh, are prepared to beat Billy and Chuck and Eric should get ready to eat popcorn and jerk his fucking cock while Stephanie performs HLA. I don't think he, he was that, that. Did he not say that, Dean? He basically said it. He literally he, said, he's get a little more some st- Vaseline and some popcorn. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, by 2002 standards, Rico's turned face now because he stopped. He, he started embracing the lesbians. Now that's awesome. I mean, I'm not saying he should be face. I'm just saying it's weird how he's like... 
now that he's more overtly heel, he's embraced the lesbian. I don't know. It's, it's it seems weird for dude. His we'll fucking get to it. I have a whole paragraph of notes. Okay, on that. okay, I gotcha. Um, for some reason, the show cuts to black after this segment. So there must have been some ad or something they took out because like pay-per-views don't ever really cut to black at, until the end. Uh, but we. DX. Fuck, dude, I hope. Uh, we're back, and Cole and Taz are on commentary. We see an exterior shot of the Staples Center. They say that this is the first ever pay-per-view in the Staples Center. I mean, like, if it's true, it's true, but that would be surprising to me. How long has the Staples Center been around? To the internet. Uh, Staples Center. It says it opened in 99. Okay, so actually... I could believe that because that's only a couple years after it first opened. Yeah. Uh, we get uh, we cut to the crowd and we see future AEW star and WrestleMania participant Shaquille O'Neal with a son. Yeah. That was a... Uh, it's actually kind of weird seeing like certain celebrities this far back in time. Like I've seeing, never seen Shaq look so young. Yeah, yeah. Like Shaq looks that young and seeing his son too. It's like, geez. Yeah. Our next contest, uh, going over to SmackDown now, Eddie Guerrero takes on Edge. Story of the match, Eddie is still sick of everybody loving Edge and his pretty little face. Uh, at SummerSlam, Edge defeated Eddie Guerrero, and within the last few weeks, Edge has embarrassed Eddie by making him constantly eat ass. Um, on the go-home SmackDown, Eddie hit Edge in his pretty face with a chair and made him bleed. And that, that's what we're going into here. Uh, Edge tries to start things off hot in this match by chasing Eddie around the ring, uh, but he just can't get his hands on Eddie. Uh, the match officially starts, and Eddie immediately leaves the ring. Uh, while Edge is arguing with referee Jimmy Corderas about Eddie being just a little bitch, uh, Eddie slides in the ring, and he gets a schoolboy for the win. Uh, no, Edge kicks out of it, too. <laughs> uh, Eddie to the outside of the ring again, and Edge follows, just for Edge to get stomped when he gets back in the ring after Eddie. Whip reverse and Edge hits a back body drop, a flapjack, and some punches. Uh, Eddie gets some punches in of his own, and now Edge is in the corner. Punches by Eddie. Whip reverse and Edge hits a power slam for a two count. Edge and Eddie are jockeying for a position on a vertical suplex when Edge finally gets it for a two count. Whip to the corner, and Edge goes for a spear, but Eddie gets the elbow up. And then he hits this beautiful second rope tornado DDT. Oh, uh, it's yeah, kind of a turning amazing. point. Uh, and Eddie starts stomping him, and we get a brain buster for a two count. Man, Eddie Guerrero is just fucking badass. I just have to say it. Yeah, and then he does this crazy submission that, like, I don't know the name for. I had to, like, type out what the fuck he does. Eddie grapevines Edge's uh, arms behind his own legs, like, behind Eddie's legs, and then he puts on a chin lock while he basically, like, uses his crotch to push down on Edge's head. Like that you know shit was wild. I've never seen to, that. I have to say, if obviously it's not his finisher, but like that move to me looks so good, I could believe it as a finisher. Like, because oh, yeah. it looks like it looks like you wouldn't be able to legitimately would not be able to escape from it. Yeah, that's how uh, Michael Cole and Taz were kind of selling it. They were like, "How the fuck does Edge get out of this? Like, he's got nowhere to go." But Edge has got those long Edge legs. That's true. Uh, we do get a two count from the submission because Edge's shoulders hit the mat. Uh, Edge gets out by using his long legs to knee Eddie in the face. Uh, we get a back suplex by Eddie for a two count and a front face lock. We get some Eddie sucks chance. 
Uh, Eddie locks in a cravat headlock. Uh, Edge gets out of that with punches to the gut. Off the ropes, and Eddie hits a thunderous back elbow. He fucking laid that one in. Yeah, he did. Uh, Stomps to a downed Edge. Eddie starts taunting Edge. He's like, come on, punch me, do it. And every time Edge tries to, he keeps missing. Dude, that was fucking awesome. I'm sorry. Like, those dodges look so perfect. Like, perfectly timed. And then uh, Edge finally does land a punch. And it, I mean, Eddie sells it like he just... He got knocked the fuck out. He fucking hit that mat. He crumpled. Uh, both men down. Uh, that's funny. I guess not much happened because I literally put both men down. Both men get up. Was it oh, just yeah. like a count spot? Uh, I, I guess, yeah. I guess they were both down for a little bit after that, yeah. Uh, Edge goes to rush Eddie in the corner, but Eddie dodges and he starts punching Edge. Eddie just beats the dog shit out of Edge here. He's just throwing every punch, elbow, forearm he can. Uh, Choke in the corner using the boot by Eddie. And this just shows how fucking good Eddie was. While he's choking Edge in the corner and arguing with the ref, he, like, uses his body to block the ref from seeing him. He's starting to undo the turnbuckle already. Mm -hmm. And he's doing it in such a way where his body's blocking it, and he's kind of doing it with one hand while arguing with the ref. I thought that was great. Uh, Eddie tells the ref to kiss his ass. He like starts smacking his ass, and then Edge gets a schoolboy roll up for a two count. Edge then gets a small package for a two count. Eddie ducks a clothesline, but then gets uh, hit with a neck breaker. Both men are down. It actually, Both- uh, if I recall correctly, Edge like sold that like his neck was still fucked up at that point when he did that neck breaker. Yeah, so yeah, I typed that. Both men were actually down after this because uh, Edge is selling his head from. They say on commentary that he got a concussion on SmackDown from the chair shot. Now you and, can tell this is a pre uh, pre two thousand seven world. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. They would not be talking about concussions in this way now. Yeah, uh, and throughout the match, Eddie has focused on the head. He hit that brain buster. He hit the uh, that tornado DDT. Uh, both men get on their knees and they just start trading punches. Two punches by Edge. And a painful-looking reverse atomic drop. It's the only atomic drop I've seen that actually looked like it fucking hurt. Yeah. He yeah. laid that in. Uh, flying form off the ropes and that sit-outside face buster for a two-count by Edge. Eddie whipped to the corner, and he goes up and over. But Edge reverses a suplex attempt and hits the Edge-O-Matic for a two-count. Eddie gets a jawbreaker in, some punches. Eddie grabs the hand, and he goes to run up that rope and probably do a head scissors. But Edge actually hits a really good-looking sit-out powerbomb for a two. Off the ropes, and Eddie is up on Edge's shoulders. Uh, but Edge drops him face-first into the turnbuckle. Edge misses the spear, but he hits the execution for a two-count when Eddie gets his foot on the rope. Uh, Edge up top, and he misses a missile drop kick. Eddie finishes undoing the turnbuckle pad at this point just to immediately get thrown into it and then speared into it. That's uh, beautiful. Uh, Eddie is put up top and Edge follows, but Eddie throws Edge face first into the exposed turnbuckle and hits a nasty looking sunset flip powerbomb and grabs the tights for the win. What'd you guys think of this match? That finish was fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That was going to be my first comment. Beautiful finish, uh, as we've already said, or I guess Dean and Trent, either way. Eddie, amazing. There's a reason he's a fucking legend. It it's just... it's it's honestly sad how it's honestly sad how good he was because then you think about the things he felt he had to do to get ahead. Yeah, that is, which that... unfortunately he was probably right, and that's the sad thing. Yeah, 
and all there's I a could, lot of go ahead damon oh i was just gonna say and all i could think about while we were talking about this match honestly is like we're not gonna get another eddie guerrero not anytime soon at least somebody with that caliber of greatness all around it's gonna take a minute yeah, definitely I, yeah like i think that's also why sometimes when people like say this person's the next this this person's the next Shawn michaels this person's the next ray mysterio it's like man you can't make those comparisons almost ever because it almost never works out definitely um eddie is another guy on this show there's another person on the show i specifically put it in my notes that like if they had come 10 years later they would have been multi-time champs on oh, top yeah. of the world yeah and like eddie eddie did hold the title for a little bit and he was always prominently booked but he was also roided the fuck out yeah i mean he, he was I guess, gigantic i guess one thing you got to keep in mind is that so much of eddie's career he was surrounded by dudes who were either fucking giants or even when he was in wwf like think of all the years he spent where like Ain't no way Eddie Guerrero. I mean, I hate saying this, saying it this way, but there's no way Eddie's getting on top of Stone Cold and The Rock are in the same company. It's not happening. No. Well, well, to be like, so Eddie was supposed to feud with Stone Cold. Oh, really? Really? So literally, I think it's like the last Raw Stone Cold's on before he, you know, quote unquote, takes his ball and goes home. Uh, Eddie smashed a beer bottle over his head. Oh, see, that's why Stone Cold left. He was scared to fight Eddie. Yeah, he's like, I know Eddie's gonna fucking be so much more over than me Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> he's, gonna, uh, he's, he's gonna stretch me brother i'm gonna go home drink some yeah beer. uh no i thought this was a really good match these two worked very well together i would say better than their SummerSlam match oh I like, yeah i like their summer slam match but that match felt a bit too slow for me yeah i think um, then they have like a match on smackdown the next week too i was about to say that right after SummerSlam, they had a match on smackdown part of that eliminator tournament and I remember really liking that match, but it's also been like 10 months since I've seen it. So I don't remember if yeah. I would like that match better than this, but I feel like I probably would. Unfortunately, because we're adults with adult obligations, we had to take that big break. And if, if we yeah. hadn't have had to, that probably be fresher in our mind. Oh, definitely. And I'm sure, well, fuck, I can't go back and watch it because Peacock doesn't have SmackDown on the goddamn uh, Oh, God. I found it on the seven seas. Yes. Ah, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, well, let's just say that we're... Uh, we're free men, and we do what we want because we're free. you damn right. Uh, we cut backstage, and Triple H is walking into the Raw locker room, uh, and he immediately sees RVD, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is weird. Not very often you see two guys interact on pay-per-view right before their pay-per-view match. Yeah, especially uh, if they're not going to like have a preemptive brawl. Yeah, uh, we see Ric Flair in the background. He looks very disappointed at himself. Uh, and Damon pointed this out. You can see Tommy Dreamer and Spike in the background even further in the background spike is still wearing his neck brace huh nice little touch of kayfabe yeah there. you know what and i I've, I've said this before on other uh, episodes but like i miss this area uh, area i miss this era of wwe when they actually like made the backstage area feel like an actual locker room oh like, my god it's not dude. like this sterile environment where people always walk in and walk out in like the most obvious pre-rehearsed ways Dude, you're fucking preaching to the choir here. Because, like, we get to see the raw locker room here. We get to see uh, the interview set area. We get to see Bischoff's office. We see Stephanie's office. We see uh, catering at one point. And, like, nowadays, like, every segment has to happen in one of three places. The ring, 
fucking that weird ring backstage where Alexa does her playground thing and then like an interview set. My, Everything has to happen there. My guest at this time, Wrestler X. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um RVD says or I'm sorry, Triple H says that RVD is far too calm and collected to ever win a world title. And Triple H points to Ric Flair and he says that, you know, Flair used to have that burning passion, that fire, that desire to be world champion, but he doesn't have a damn thing now. Uh, Triple H says it's appropriate that RVD is getting ready for his match next to a loser like Ric Flair. And Flair, he gets up out of his seat and RVD kind of holds him back. I'm not going to lie. RVD low-key buried Ric Flair here. <gasps> okay, dude, yeah. He says, he says, Trips, you really came in to say all that, huh? And then he says, I would rather hang with a loser like Ric Flair than a winner like Triple H. The like, fuck does that oh, mean, you nerd? That, oh, that just, if you're Ric like, if I'm Ric Flair, I'd be like, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah, no wonder what happens later happens, yeah. dude. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, Especially because tri- RVD, like, he actually, like, just took it upon himself to put his hand on Ric Flair. Like, no, nah, I got this. It's like, okay, dude. Like, you know, I don't know. I guess, especially because they're wrestlers. And wrestling is so testosterone fueled. The first thing I think is like, man, RVD might end up regretting this. Yeah, uh, Triple H just laughs at both of them and then walks away. Uh, we cut to a match graphic for Billy and Chuck versus Three Minute Warning. They make it a video package for this interpromotional matchup. And here we are, Three Minute Warning take on Billy and Chuck in an interpromotional match. This dude, this this match has like the biggest build on the whole show. You actually are right. This is actually the longest running storyline on the show. Yeah. Uh, so story of the match, Stephanie McMahon and Eric Bischoff have been feuding ever since Raw and SmackDown became completely separate brands. For the last two months, Bischoff has had his henchman, the three-minute warning, Rosie Jamal, jump anybody that Bischoff found annoying or boring on television. When Stephanie announced that Billy and Chuck would be having a quote-unquote commitment ceremony on SmackDown, Bischoff took that personally. So he decided, I'm going to have a same-sex controversy of my own called HLA, Hot Lesbian Action. He had two lesbians make out and touch each other on television. And that segment ended with three-minute warning, absolutely fucking killing them in the ring. And that was Eric Bischoff's way of proving a point to Stephanie. A huge swerve comes on SmackDown when Bischoff and three-minute warning ruined an already ruined commitment ceremony as Billy and Chuck admitted that it was all a publicity stunt anyway. They're not actually gay. And Rico turns on Billy and Chuck in that segment. He goes to Raw. This match also, on top of all that ridiculous build, has the stipulation that if Billy and Chuck win, Bischoff has to kiss Stephanie's ass. And if Raw wins, Stephanie has to perform some HLA live and unforgiven. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty epic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, Mind you, we know what actually happens, but I still just think to myself, man, Eric Bischoff, I, I don't, if I'm Stephanie, I'm like, um, how about we change that stipulation so you actually lose in one scenario? But she swerved yeah. him, she swerved him, she swerved him. Uh, things start off hot with Billy and Chuck sliding in the ring to attack three minute warning. It doesn't actually work too well for him at first. Uh, and Rosie and Jamal just kind of beat him down. Which, holy Billy- crap, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, Chuck Palumbo and uh, I almost called him Billy Kidman. Billy Gunn are uh, fuck, they're fucking big dudes. Oh but, yeah, but like Jamal and Rosie are he, actually Rosie especially is fucking huge. Yeah, Rosie's real fat here. Uh, <laughs> God damn, damn. I can say it. I was trying to. 
I was trying to be a little more diplomatic there, but okay. Uh, uh, Billy ends up clotheslining himself and Jamal out of the ring. Chuck gets some punches in on Rosie. Whip reverse and Chuck reverses a body slam. He goes for a roll up, but Rico kicks Chuck in the face. Uh, Rosie with a big back suplex on Chuck. And uh, they start the match off as legal men, Rosie and Chuck. Club to the back and clubs to the chest. Choke in the corner by Rosie and Jamal gets tagged in. Jamal goes to rush Chuck in the corner, but Chuck gets the boots up. Uh, kick in the gut, then a kick in the face by Jamal, and that gets a two count. Rosie tagged in. He stomping Chuck down. Get a body slam on Chuck for a two count. Uh, and then Rosie kind of just starts, like, prying and ripping at Chuck's face. Uh, Chuck starts firing back with some punches, but he gets hit with a headbutt. Jamal tagged in, and a double headbutt by the heels, an elbow drop, and a two count. Punches to Chuck. Billy gets knocked off the apron. Uh, the ref and Billy uh, argue, which allows the heels to stomp Chuck down. Rosie tagged in, and he starts taunting the faces. A body slam to Chuck, and, some, and a back elbow knocks Billy off the apron. Up to the second rope, and Rosie goes for a fucking moonsault. Which, let me tell you, obviously it doesn't hit, and it looked like that landing fucking hurt. Oh my god, that was insane. Like, yeah. I didn't know Rosie could do a moonsault. Yeah, I didn't he, know and either. He put everything into that, too. Like, he launched himself, and that... It's not like he was going to neck himself or anything. That was pretty crystal clear a moonsault. Yeah. yeah. I think that would have killed him if it landed, though. Oh, or yeah. Well, it would have killed his opponent, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this is not hit. Chuck moves, and both men are down now. Jamal tagged in, and Billy gets the hot tag. Punches to Jamal and Rosie. Drop kick to Rosie. Rico's poked in the eyes, and a clothesline makes Jamal take the Rikishi bump. Um, Billy goes to make the heels kind of headbutt each other like a double naga knocker. Uh, but since they're Samoan, it doesn't actually hurt them. It actually fires them up and they double headbutt Billy. I fucking I, I, love that spot. I, I love too. that spot. I, I love that. Like that's something that's been maintained over the years that Samoans just like have harder heads and kayfabe. Yeah. Who was, I think Rhea Ripley at one point had a match against probably Tamina. It's mm-hmm. the only Samoan woman I can think of. And I'm pretty sure she even fucking sold it. She tried to headbutt her and immediately, like, grabbed her head. And I actually remember, uh, like, it was, like, Tamina's, like, first ever title match. This is honestly back when Tamina was, like, super, super, super green. Like, people, like I admit, I thought she was going to be better than she was, and she wasn't. But even in that sure. match, Beth Phoenix tried Beth Phoenix tried to headbutt her, and just, like, Beth Phoenix ended up hurting herself trying to headbutt her. Yeah. Uh, Chuck gets knocked off the apron by Rosie. Jamal goes up top for that superfly splash, but Chuck fucking throws him over uh, like halfway across the ring off the top rope. That was crazy. Uh, Billy goes for the one and only on Rosie, but Rosie reverses and hits a full Nelson spin out face bust. That was a cool move. Oh, yeah. Uh, Super kick to Rosie by Chuck, then a super kick by Jamal to Chuck. Jamal throws Billy in the air for the Samoan drop, but Billy reverses and with a Famouser. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a really that was actually a really awesome Famouser, I have to say. Yeah, uh, Rico comes in and he gets the dog shit clotheslined out of him by Billy. Billy <laughs> laid that one in. Uh, Rico thrown out of the ring by Billy. Rosie whips Billy into a Samoan drop by Jamal for the win. Stephanie must perform HLA tonight. What do you guys think of this match? You know. I have well actually you know what okay 
I keep saying this, but I keep waiting to see when Damon's going to flip the script. So what do you think, Damon? Uh, not quite yet. Um, I Okay, so I think I share Trent's opinion that he'll probably give. I know he voiced it to me. Three-minute warning are probably better when they're just killing people. That being said, especially Jamal impressed the shit out of me. And hell, even Billy and Chuck had some pretty good offense. So again, I can't hate too much. It, it wasn't amazing, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah, I, I really, I actually liked this match more than I thought I would. Um, partially just because I had a little bit of worry of like, okay, how good are three minute warning going to do in an actual match now? Um, but at the same time, it was actually really good. I, I will say, yeah, Jamal is, and look, it's it's Jamal. It's kind of hard for him not to be. He's actually a really good wrestler. Jamal stood out more than Rosie, but at the same time, Rosie still has some really great spots. Um, Billy and Chuck are actually a pretty good tag team. So overall, I, I actually like this match. It was a little disappointing to me. Uh, um, I I loved every three-minute warning beatdown segment. They always did some real cool shit. And then we get to the match and Rosie just body slams Chuck a million times and we're doing elbow drops and head butts. And it's like, I know you guys can do more and we didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a little disappointing to me. But we got to see the world's greatest Samoan drop. That That's true. true. Jamal does have a really good Samoan drop. Like uh, like still, the I, I keep saying it every time, but I, I legitimately defy anyone to find me anyone who can do a Samoan drop better than him. Oh, we cut backstage and Bischoff is being interviewed by Jonathan Coachman. Bischoff says he knew three minute warning would come through. And speaking of that, and I don't know what that means. What? Because haha come or coming through because he's accompanied by three very attractive women. I, yeah, I, that was, I didn't entirely get that, but okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Eric is laughing while he's talking about how Stephanie will have to perform HLA in front of a capacity crowd. Uh, Coach asks Bischoff if he thought about who exactly who he will send out for this as he has three ladies. Uh, Eric asks which of the three young, lovely lesbians, his words, not mine, would like to sexually assault Stephanie tonight. Uh, And they all, quote unquote, beg for it. It's like, bro, like my fucking dog could act better than these chicks. They're like, (laughs) I want to do it. Please. I want it's like, what the fuck? Look, it's like, it's like, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but it's like some people can only act with their tits. That's all they know how to act. Jesus fucking Christ, Dean. (laughs) Just saying that's some people. That's all. That's the only way they know how to act. Damn. (laughs) Put that on goddamn t-shirt and sell it. Uh, uh, Bischoff starts an HLA chant. JR is pissed that a member of the McMahon family will have to do this. And Lawler says he liked the one wearing the pink. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would just like to thank Jim Ross for taking this seriously. As much as he can. Uh, we get a match graphic for Triple H versus RVD for the World Heavyweight title. And we get a video package for Triple H and RVD. Our next contest, Rob Van Dam takes on Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship. Story of the match. Uh, on the September 2nd edition of Monday Night Raw... Triple H was awarded the World Heavyweight Championship, and ever since then, everybody has wanted a shot at the title. RVD actually pinned Triple H in a tag match the following week, and then won a four-way dance to become the number one contender. On the go-home episode, Triple H screwed RVD out of retaining the Intercontinental title against Jericho. 
Triple H has repeatedly said that RVD is not championship material, and RVD wants to prove him wrong. Uh, RVD literally poses with the title before the match. Well, it's about as close as he's going to get for another couple of years. Hey, Gabagoo. Uh, lock up an RVD with a side headlock takeover. Uh, head scissors by Triple H. Both men up, and they kind of do a lucha standoff spot. Uh, lock up in the same spot again twice. But Triple H about breaks his neck on one of those headlock takeovers. Yeah, there's a lot of headlock takeovers in this match. Yeah, oh my. Yeah, we'll fucking get to it. It's a uh, lot, this, The beginning of this match is a lot slower than I would have expected. Yeah. And RVD misses a spin kick at one point. RVD poses and he actually gets a mixed reaction, which shows just how fucking over Triple H was in 2002. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Didn't Triple H get a pretty decent pop still? Like for his yeah, efforts? dude. Triple H is the fucking man. He beat the fuck out of Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Dude, did he beat Shawn Michaels so bad that Shawn Michaels can't come anymore? Uh, Lock up. I'm gonna avoid making the Austin Aries joke again. You damn straight. Uh, Lock up in a headlock by RVD, but Triple H grabs his hair and throws him right down. Lock up and they trade hammer locks. Headlock takeover by RVD. Triple H rolls him up for a two count and RVD gets that headlock back on. Uh, Triple H pushes Van Dam onto the ropes and Triple H smacks RVD in the face and RVD retaliates. RVD, I'm sorry, Triple H fakes a lock up and kicks RVD right in the gut. Gives some punches by Triple H. Whip reverse and Triple H shoulder blocks him. Uh, RVD does a splits drop down and RVD goes to leapfrog, but Triple H holds onto the ropes. Triple H ends up rushing anyway, and RVD hits an arm drag and a side headlock takeover. Two count when Triple H's shoulders hit the mat. Uh, Triple H gets his feet on the rope, and RVD breaks the headlock at a four count, and Triple H goes to the outside of the ring. Triple H goes to get back in the ring, and RVD does the Triple H water spit spot to a huge pop. We had to, well, I mean, I guess it got a huge pop, but we had to go back to that promo. I guess, and this pisses off Triple H. You can read his lips at one point because they do a close-up on him. He definitely goes, motherfucker, at one point. <laughs> uh, Triple H gets in, and he gets hit with an arm drag and a side headlock takeover for a two-count. RVD put into the turnbuckle, and RVD goes for a clean break, but Triple H knees him in the gut multiple times. Uh, RVD whipped to the opposite corner, and he does Booker T's corkscrew roll-up for a two-count. Uh, Triple H was like supposed to go for a jackknife cover, uh, but he slips, and RVD has to put Triple H into position correctly. Uh, RVD bridges up at two. RVD goes for a backslide, but Triple H kind of reverses it and makes RVD backflip over him. Uh, RVD has a kick caught, but then he leg sweeps Hunter down. Which I have to say, I wonder if that was supposed to happen. It, it felt like there was a bit of a, he bit of a bit of hesitation there, and it looks like there was a bit of a delay, and RVD just kind of threw something. I could be wrong, but that's just that's just what it looked like to me. Well, see, usually he does the... You know, he misses a kick and then misses an enziguri but lands on his foot and then hits you on the backswing. Exactly, exactly. But he did all that, and except for hitting you on the backswing, he just sweeped his leg. I it just, I just, to me, it looked like he might have lost his balance and just then went for something, basically. Maybe. Uh, that gets a two count. We get a side headlock takeover for a two count. Headlock takeover. Jerry Lawler says exactly what I was thinking. Don't expect Triple H to lose the title to a headlock. Okay, cool. So why is why is that the only move RVD's been doing for the last six minutes? Yeah, of this like match? like seriously, like it's it's actually legitimately kind of ridiculous. This match was weirdly 
This booked. match was weirdly, weirdly booked and weirdly technical, but I'll, I'll get into the technical aspect of it when we get to the, we get closer to the finish. Yeah. Uh, we get a back suplex attempt by Triple H, but RVD lands on his feet, ducks a clothesline, and then he hits a spin kick. Triple H goes to the outside. RVD goes for a tope on Hilo, but he eats shit because Triple H just moves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Triple H. Triple go ahead, H. Danny. Triple H is just. I think he legit doesn't like RVD like for a shoot because <laughs> this is like the fifth fucking time he hasn't caught him. Well, at least yeah. this time it was planned. The other time he was supposed to catch him and RVD about broke his goddamn nose hitting the mat. Yeah, see, and I, I've seen other people who were around Triple H and RVD say like like they just never had good vibes around each other. That, yeah. I've even, I mean, Paul London even once implied that Triple H was jealous of how over RVD was, but that's what Paul London said, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, Triple H back in the ring and RVD is just flat on the outside. RVD kind of gets back in at a nine count because like he touches the apron and the ref quits counting. But I feel like that should have been a 10 count. Yeah, I think I think like I think even JR on commentary said that he thinks the referee gave him leeway because it's a title match. Yeah. And I remember Lawler was like, fuck off. (laughs) He was pissed. He's like, yeah, okay. Uh, and Triple H just starts stomping him. RVD has his face smashed into the apron and then elbow to the jaw. Both men on the outside, and RVD is whipped into the stairs. Triple H goes back in to break the count, comes right back out. Uh, and he does that just to throw RVD back in the ring, and then Triple H goes back in for a two count. Uh, mounted punches by Triple H. Uh, he does the hangman on the rope. You know what I'm talking about? Is that what you call that move, the hangman? Wait, it's wait, where wait. like you catapult them and their throat hits the bottom rope. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I'm not sure if that's actually what it's called. It might be called the page. Shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, that gets a two count. RVD reverses a vertical suplex attempt and gets a victory roll for a two count. Neck breaker by Triple H for a two. RVD thrown out the ring and Triple H follows. Uh, RVD reverses and Triple H head uh, Triple H's head gets thrown into the SmackDown announce table twice. Uh, Triple H uh, goes back in the ring and RVD follows. RVD gets some punches in. Whip reversed. RVD ducks a clothesline, but is hit with Triple H's signature flying knee for a two count. Every single creator wrestler in the SVR games had that move. Oh, yeah. The flying knee. Oh, Oh, yeah. Dude, that's why every fucking wrestler on the indies in in NXT and AEW does the fucking (laughs) V-trigger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Triple H up to the second rope, and he does RVD's thumb taunt just for RVD to enziguri him like in the kidneys and then throw him down. Uh, forearms by RVD, whip reverse, and Triple H gets in the sleeper hold, and RVD's fading very fast. Uh, RVD gets out by rushing the turnbuckle and then ducking at the last second. So Triple H goes headfirst into the turnbuckle. Uh, RVD misses a stinger splash in the corner. Triple H off the ropes, and he gets hit with a spinning wheel kick. Both men are down. Uh, they get back up. Triple H and RVD are trading punches with RVD getting the advantage. Whip reverse and Triple H goes for a back body drop, but RVD backflips over it. Triple H has a kick caught and RVD hits a spinning wheel kick. Uh, he hits two of those actually, and then a cartwheel into a moonsault by RVD for a two count. Uh, whip to the corner and a rolling monkey flip by RVD. Two shoulder blocks, backhand spring. He misses the third, but he springs off the second rope, the flying karate kick. Rolling thunder for the two count. Uh, Triple H rolls to the outside. RVD immediately hits a pescado on him. Mounted punches by RVD. Triple H thrown back in and RVD follows. RVD up top and he hits the flying karate kick for a two count. 
whipped to the ropes, and RVD goes for a back body drop, but Triple H hits the knee face buster. Triple H off the ropes, and RVD leapfrogs him, and Triple H collides with referee Earl Hebner, and Earl flies out of the ring. And as much as I think Earl Hebner is one of the most overrated referees of all time, he always took really good ref bumps. Yeah. I, the only thing I'll say about this ref bump is that I remember as it was leading up to the bump, I didn't like necessarily think to myself, oh, ref bump's coming, but I more thought to myself, man, he's really getting in the way right now. Why is he like so obviously in the way? And then like, Dude, oh, that's why. literally I knew a ref bump was happening because I was like, Earl is like standing super close to RVD right now. Yeah, I'm like, he is going to get hit even if it's not intended. Like, yep, and he did. Uh, spinning wheel kick by RVD actually gets the visual three count. Uh, low blow by Triple H and like no one really sells it as a low blow, but JR says it. Yeah. But the crowd really didn't register it as a low blow because it was like, I'm not sure he actually hit him in the dick. Uh, and he goes for the pedigree, but RVD reverses and Triple H is catapulted into the turnbuckle. RVD up top and he hits the five-star frog splash and he gets another visual victory. Uh, a real low blow by Triple H this time while RVD is trying to get Earl Hebner up. Uh, Triple H to the outside and he gets the uh, sledgehammer and he comes back in. And RVD springs up and hits the Van Daminator. Uh, Ric Flair runs out to the ring and he picks up the sledgehammer. And oh my God, he hit RVD in the sternum with it. Triple H is shocked. We get a pedigree to RVD. Ric Flair throws Earl Hebner into the ring and Triple H retains the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Flair hands Triple H the belt. Uh, you can't hear him, but you can read his lip. He says, you're the man. And he raises his hand. How'd you guys feel about this match? Uh, I'm once again. I'm gonna let Damon go first. I'm waiting for him to flip the script. Still, we're getting there. Um, but I felt like this was one of those matches. Like the first half or so, fucking dragged, and then after that, it was like, okay, this is good. Oh, they're getting their shit in. It doesn't feel like it's been an hour. So I don't know. Uh, not my favorite, but it's uh, it's all right. I feel like this match was too technical for its own good. Yeah. And I say that because, well, for one thing, that's not really RVD's wheelhouse. And it just felt like, it felt like Triple H had more say in what happened in this match to me than RVD did. But that's just from an outside perspective, knowing their relative styles. Um, but also, I think having a match like this where you're doing like headlock takeovers and the head scissors and like the kip up from the head scissors and like, all these moves that like are very much very mat based wrestling. I feel like that was very ill conceived right before Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle go on. That's it's it just yeah. it just hot because to me it just highlighted how this it, it made the match feel even worse in retrospect after I saw Chris Bang Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle. Yeah, um, I can, I pretty much agree with you guys. Technically, it's fine. You know, the match was good enough. I didn't hate it. What I did hate is that they have RVD, one of the most exciting guys in wrestling at this time, only does a headlock for the first five minutes. And I get they got to build up the match. You can't just go in guns blazing because then nothing means anything. But I've never seen RVD do a fucking headlock once in my life, and then he does it here a million times. It's like, what yeah. are we doing? It just felt like they weren't playing to RVD strengths at all, Like, which is, which is why I said it feels like Triple H, at least from my perspective, it feels like Triple H laid out most of this match. That's just how it yeah. felt. To, that's how it felt to me. We cut backstage in the catering area, and D'Lo Brown and Billy Kidman are watching the show. 
Uh, D'Lo says that that's why Flair is the dirtiest player in the game. Uh, and then some old-ass man in a suit comes up, and he says, that's why you got to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I could barely hear him for a lot. Oh, of he was super quiet. And D'Lo says, oh, my God, that's Eric Brayton from The Young and the Restless. I will bet anybody $500,000 that D'Lo Brown has never seen a single episode of Young and the Restless. <laughs> Come on, man. He's a big fan. Uh, I heard New Jack in a shoot interview said that uh, he was watching that every day when they were working at Smoky Mountain. Uh, no, he did not say that. I'm fucking Okay, up. shut up. Bro. <laughs> what? Uh, rest, Eric, in, rest, rest in peace, New Jack. Yeah. Uh, Eric Braden, he's an actor. He played Victor Newman on The Young and the Restless from 1980 until when did he leave the show, guys? <laughs> I have no idea. 2003? Dean says 2003. Damon, you say 2015? Yeah. This guy is still on the show. 41 uh, years in this fucking biz, bro. God bless this man. This, you know what, dude? And, and, and I'll just say it legit. One of my best friends actually watches soap operas unironically. And, like, I'm not even kidding. Like, when I saw some of the shows he watched, I'm like, this is some shit my grandmother watched. There's all this, sh- all these shows are still on, but they oh, all yeah. are. They're all still going. Uh, D'Lo and Kidman shake his hand. D'Lo says that the character Eric Braden plays Victor Newman uh, is the most conniving guy on daytime television. D'Lo loves that. D'Lo does have one question, though. He says, you know, everyone on that show is fine, fine, fine. So what happens off screen? And Brayden says, you know, I, I can't talk about that. I've been a married man for many years. What a fucking worker, dude. You got <laughs> to kayfabe the boys sometimes, dude. I get it. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Kidman asks Brayden what he's doing uh, at Unforgiven. And Dom Marie walks up, kisses him on the cheek, and says uh, that he's with me. And D'Lo says, all, you know, some guys get all the luck. Not a single person in that arena, including the people in this segment, knew who Eric Braden is. Eric Braden doesn't know who Eric Braden is. What the fuck was this, dude? No one popped. No one gave a shit. Why is was this, this a thing? Well, see, I mean, because I want to actually tie this into more recent events, actually. Like, um, so, like, Bad Bunny was a part of WWE television for a period of time recently. Yes. Um, And he's legitimately, like, one of the biggest music stars in the world right now. Yes. And... I, I will fully admit, I and a lot of other people, when we first saw him, we were like, uh, who? Yeah, same. And I want to emphasize, one of the biggest music acts in the world. So we go to 2002 and we're bringing on a guy from The Young and the Restless. There is no way in hell anybody knows who the fuck this guy is. <laughs> right. See, this entire time I thought you were going to defend him and I was going to be like, no one was watching soap operas in 2002. It's just like, that's the thing though, like, if people, if so many people didn't know who Bad Bunny is, there's no way they knew who the hell this guy was. Yeah, I no one in that crowd popped. Nope. Um, our next contest: Trish Stratus takes on Molly Holly for the WWE Women's Championship. Story of the match: There really isn't one. Uh, the story I guess Tr- is the story is Molly Holly's been off TV, and Tr- yeah, and Trish has been winning sort of so title match, I guess. Yeah, so. Uh, I guess Trish and Molly have been feuding in a way because they've all been teaming with Bubba, Nowinski, Regal. But I don't really recall them ever having a one-on-one segment. There was that time that Victoria, Molly's friend, had a match with Trish while Molly was on commentary. Yeah, and Victoria has been killed off screen, so. Yeah, this match was just announced on the go-home SmackDown with no real build. 
uh, JR actually gives us more build than the show itself gave us. Uh, Molly beat Trish for the title just a few months earlier at King of the Ring. And you know what the funny thing is? I actually, during this match, well, first of all, JR actually put this over, that like, which a thank you, JR. Somebody has to. But even Jerry Lawler was like, oh, yeah, these, uh, these women are actually good wrestlers. And I'm like, whoa, Jerry Lawler actually commentating for yeah. at least for like five seconds anyway. Uh, we get a lockup and Trish gets a full Nelson and an arm bar. Uh, Molly gets out by grabbing Trish by the hair and pulling her down. Wrist lock by Molly. Kip up and wrist lock by Trish. Uh, Molly with a collegiate fireman's carry and a two count when Trish crucifixes her uh, for her own two count. Both women get a two count there. Uh, lock up and arm drag by Trish and again. Uh, then we get a drop kick and a neck breaker by Trish for a two count. Molly gets a big punch in. Whip to the corner and Molly rushes, but Trish gets her feet up. Trish misses an elbow drop. A uh, very nice looking snap vertical suplex by Molly for a two count. Molly throws Trish face first into the canvas, then to the outside, and Molly follows her. Uh, Trish thrown face first into the steps, uh, then to the barricade. I don't know what the fuck. I think, you know, throughout the show, they're usually like, oh, this pay-per-view is available in fucking 150 countries or whatever. And Lawler says something about Virgin Islands, and then he says, that's where Molly Holly's from. Oh, yeah. Man, that was- and I said, that's pretty epic. That's a pro-gamer move. Uh, Trish thrown back in the ring, and Molly follows. We had a straight jacket headlock by Molly, and then a straight jacket bow and arrow. That was pretty cool. And then yeah. she gets a straight jacket camel clutch. I was like, yo, this shit's kind of different right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Trish reverses and throws Molly off. Basement dropkick by Molly Holly. Small package by Trish for a two count. Then a schoolgirl victory roll hybrid for a two count. Drop toe hold and Trish hits her throat on the rope. I thought that was a cool spot. Uh, whip to the corner and Molly has a sidewalk slam reversed into a bulldog for a two count. Molly's getting some forearms in. Whip to the ropes and Trish ducks the clothesline then hits her chick kick for a two. Whip to the corner but Molly gets her feet up. Molly up top, but Trish hits the ropes and Molly is crotched. Uh, Trish goes for the stratosphere, but Molly catches her leg, puts her in the tree of woe, and it goes on the outside and pulls Trish's arms back. I thought that was such a fucking good spot. Oh, it was. That was now, so cool. Now, what Molly does afterwards is a little questionable, but you know. What? She does the cartwheel backhand spring elbow thing? It's not even an elbow. She just hit her with her ass. It didn't even look like it barely, barely hit her. Oh. I didn't know Molly Holly was that athletic. That ah, was really fair. surprising to me. Ah, fair enough. Uh, that move gets a two count. Whip to the ropes, and Trish tries to get some heat with Rey Mysterio because she does this wheelbarrow bulldog, and she actually wins off of it. That shocked the hell out of me. Yeah, I did not think the match was going to end that suddenly. It really fell out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, Trish is now a three-time women's champion. Uh, what would you guys think of this match? You know... Two things drug this match down for me. Uh, one, the crowd, uh, just because the crowd didn't give a shit, and I don't entirely blame them, but it's just disappointing because I actually thought the women here actually put on, like they were trying to put on a match, but I just feel like the crowd didn't care. And also, I'm really getting tired of Molly's attire. I wish they'd just give her wrestling gear. I, I don't like that she keeps going out there looking like a soccer mom who's going to pick her kids up. Like, it... But funny enough, though, I will say I actually like this match more than I thought I would. 
All right, so this is the match that I pretty much hated. But okay. I will I will say Molly put on some – she carried the match, which I think is part of the reason I hate it because they did her so dirty. Trish, to me, seemed sloppy and slow for most of it. And then fucking Molly, meanwhile, there was, she's killing it. There was no buildup to this match. So, really, you just have Molly lose for what? Yeah, well, see, that's the other thing. Because she hasn't even been on television, you watch this match and you're like, well – Trish is going to win. Right. Trish has actually been on TV and it just feels, it feels like they purposely deflated the champion. Not only all that, but then it's like the end, like, you know, let's do a check kicker, stratosphere, stratisfaction. But yeah. And then it's like some bullshit, like it's a cool move, but that's not what Trish is known to use for ending matches. So it just seemed that way out of left field. <laughs> yeah. It that's, and we'll see, that's the thing. Like, I feel like I would have enjoyed this match more if it weren't for so many mitigating circumstances that drug it down. Things that weren't even entirely on Molly herself, but just things that unfortunately were part of the match or things leading up to the match or lack thereof leading up to the match. Yo, this match fucked. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I loved this match. Oh, I liked the match. It's just certain mitigating circumstances brought it down for me. Man, y'all are shitting on, dude. Imagine, dude, Molly Holly. If she came into NXT around 2015, would have been a fucking star. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Imagine her against Rhea Ripley, Asuka, Sasha Banks. Oh, it'd be great. But we're not in that era. I'm not bro, this match was so good, bro. Fuck you guys. This no, it was. was awesome. That's the thing. I'm telling you, it was a good match. It's just that the build and the finish and the crowd drug it down for me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I expect you to say the same thing. Minus the crowd about Kurt Angle and Ben Wall. Because the really? build was fucking stupid. You see, here's the thing, though. That build fucking sucked. But at the same time, I didn't feel like they buried the chance. I didn't feel like they didn't bury one of them leading up to it. Whatever, man. We're cutting they, backstage. They, they buried Molly. They did nothing but bury Molly leading up to this match. That's the thing. And then she had an awesome match. Yeah, and she got buried again. Oh, oh, she gets buried by losing. Yes, to the most over woman on the roster. Yes, bro. No. Yes, because she's coming out looking like a soccer mom going to pick up her kids from T. That's her practice. gimmick, bro. I don't care. She needs to put some goddamn wrestling boots on. Well, you want her to be Mighty Molly again? I would prefer that. Actually, oh my god, I would legitimately prefer that. We look at like it's like freaking. And it'd be nice if Molly could win a match, like win some matches, like to build her up leading up to it. But no, only Trish has been on TV. Yeah, no, she's a chicken shit heel, bro. She can't win. <sighs> uh, we cut backstage and we see three minute warning and Rico chilling with some beautiful women. Uh, three of them are the lesbians from earlier tonight. And I don't know who the other three are. Also, this goes into what Dean said the other week about Hollywood lesbians being more bi because they're rubbing up on dudes, but they're supposed to be lesbians. Yeah, well, you know what, dude? It's just like, it's just, it's 2002 land. Gay men, boo. Lesbians, well, you got to be bisexual, but yay. Okay, so here's the thing. I don't, listen, it's June 1st as we've recorded this kickoff of Pride Month. So I'm not going to get too controversial here, but I feel like this needs mentioned. Isn't Rico's whole gimmick being a gay stylist? Yes. And yes, that it really, is. it really bugged me because, like, well, a week or two ago, Oh, during the commitment ceremony, he was like, I don't want your good time, girls. And now he's like, I'm going to fuck them. 
Well, okay. Well, yeah, okay. Listen, listen, listen. I got a whole thing typed here. I know sexuality is a spectrum. Okay. There's no such thing as hundred percent gay or hundred percent straight, but WWE is not that nuanced. And Rico is definitely meant to be a hundred percent gay. If not a thousand percent gay. Uh, or, or is the idea that the fans are assholes because they make assumptions about him just because he's flamboyant. Did WWE ever outright say Rico is gay? He likes men. I think there's a case to be made. The biggest heel in this is the crowd. Because I couldn't find anything. Wikipedia says that Rico was gay. But I can't find anything that WWE was like, yes, he is gay. He likes men. That is his character. I know for a fact they never said Goldust was gay. Goldust's face turn in 97 was when he literally said that he wasn't gay and the crowd popped. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Anyway. As a matter of fact, uh, Goldust, well, I guess he kissed Ahmed Johnson, but that was CPR. Well, it, 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 the explanation was he did all that to play mind games. Okay. Anyway, Eric walks in with another girl uh, and he says the three minute warning are the best. And he couldn't have done this without Rico. Uh, Rico asks if they can, you know, uh, Eric says, yes, it's Hollywood and they can party on his dime. Three minute warning, Rico and all the ladies leave, but Eric keeps two of the ladies with him. Uh, and he says, you got to help me with a little bit of HLA later tonight. Um, we cut to black. Uh, we come back and Taz, I don't know why, but he always calls women tomatoes. And that's funny to me because I don't know what it means. Well, see, when he was doing his TNA run for a while there, every time the beautiful people come would come out, he'd say, let the pigeons loose. Oh, that's right. He would. I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. Yeah. Why is he calling them tomatoes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it, though. Taz says, you know, it sucks that SmackDown lost, but he's a man, so he's going to like what happens. Uh, we get a shout out to Adrenaline off the Triple X soundtrack as the theme for Unforgiven. We get a match graphic for Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit and a video package for Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit. And here we are, our next contest, if we couldn't catch on. Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit, story of the match. Angle and Benoit have just been making fun of each other uh, over the last few weeks. Benoit laughed at Angle when he got stink-faced by Rikishi. And Angle actually helped Rikishi stink-face Benoit. Both men have made each other tap with their finishes. Yeah, I mean it's 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 they 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 built it up sort of kind of but not really. If yeah. anything, the funny that's the funny thing about this is that you'd think both of them would actually be more mad at Rikishi, but you know. Yeah, we couldn't get like a triple threat. Yeah. No, not with old Hildegard. Uh, yeah. We get a lock up, and both men jockey for position. Neither man can get the clear advantage, and they just stumble out of the ring while they're still in their lockup. Uh, both men back in the ring, and they stare each other down, which causes referee Mike Kyoto to separate them. Lock up and Kurt goes behind and drops Benoit on his stomach. We get some amateur wrestling on the mat and Kurt gets a one count. Benoit goes for the crossface, but Angle quickly gets to the ropes before it can get locked in. Both men back up to a round of applause by the audience. Uh, Kurt shoots for the leg and both men are on the mat again. Kurt goes for the angle lock, but Benoit gets the ropes before it's locked in. And I'm going to say this at the end of the match, but it's such amazing yet simple storytelling in this match. Um, Lock up and a wrist lock by Benoit. Angle reverses with a hammer lock. Benoit tries a snapmare, but Angle actually rolls through and holds on. Oh, that was great. I, I love that spot. I love that. Uh, Benoit reverses with a wrist lock, and Angle does the same. Headlock by Angle, and he shot off the ropes and hits a shoulder tackle. Drop down, and Benoit goes for a hip toss, but it's blocked. So he says, fuck it. I'm going to go for the crossface instead. 
uh, angle reverses and he goes for a fireman's carry, but uh, Benwell rolls him up for a two count. Angle and Benwell then proceed to exchange about eight quick near falls. And Kurt eventually goes for a clothesline, but Chris catches the arm and goes for the crossface once again. Benoit is very close to locking it in, but Kurt gets the ropes and he rolls out of the ring. Uh, Kurt eventually gets back in the ring and they kind of circle each other. Lockup and Benoit again goes for the crossface, but Kurt gets annoyed and he says, fuck this amateur wrestling bullshit. I'm going to just toss his ass out of the ring. <laughs> uh, Kurt follows him out there, elbows to the back of the head, a stun gun on the barricade by Kurt Angle. Benoit thrown back in and Kurt follows. Benoit's getting stomped down. We get a backbreaker for a two count. Uh, and something happens in the crowd and people quit paying attention. So Kurt is very smart and he locks in a rest hold. Uh, did yeah. you guys notice that? Yeah, I noticed that, but I don't know what it was. So, probably someone getting kicked out or a fight or some shit. Something, yeah. Um, so the, the, the rest hold he locks in is like a reverse bear hug and he grapevines his legs over Benoit's <laughs> waist. Uh, Benoit starts grabbing at Kurt's leg and he starts twisting the ankle, uh, which makes Kurt let go of the hold. Uh, Benoit has a whip reverse and a kitchen sink by Kurt. Punches and kicks in the corner by Angle, shoulders to the gut. Uh, whip to the opposite corner and Angle rushes, but Benoit moves and Kurt goes shoulder first into the post. Uh, and then Benoit actually grabs Kurt and throws him shoulder first into the opposite post. Uh, back suplex in a two count. Benoit grabs Kurt's arm and he just like fucking is clubbing at it. Uh, to work it, uh, you know, beat it down for the crippler crossface. We get a short arm clothesline and knees to the gut. Benoit goes for another short arm clothesline, but Kurt ducks and goes for the German, but it turned into a belly to belly. Both men are trading knees, and Kurt finally gets the overhead belly to belly. Both men are down. Uh, they both get up at an eight count. Benoit hits two German suplexes. He goes for a third, but Angle reverses to hit two of his own. Uh, then Ben Wall reverses and hits one. And then Kurt reverses and hits three. I fucking love that spot. Mm-hmm. They're just big dicking each other with these fucking German suplexes. And then my man Kurt Angle gets the straps down. Yeah! Uh, Kurt goes for the angle slam, but Ben Wall lands on his feet and he hits a German that lands Kurt on his stomach. He took a fucking backflip out of that. That bump look, it sucked. Uh, ben Wall up top for Air Canada. But Kurt runs up and hits a top rope belly to belly. And I'm pretty sure recently on Kurt Angle's podcast, because he's trying to get into our fucking medium, uh, he said that he never once practiced that move before the very first time he did it in a match. He was Hmm. just so fucking good. He could just run up and not slip and hit that. I can believe it. I can believe it. Yeah, that gets a two count. Uh, Ben Wall gets a jackknife pin for a two. Uh, but Kurt kicks out and locks in the angle lock. Benoit rolls through and boots angle in the face three times to get him off of him. Uh, Kurt and Benoit trade essentially like tombstone holds. It looks like one of them is going to go for the tombstone. And Benoit ends up hitting a shoulder breaker. I need more shoulder breakers in wrestling. Love that yeah, move. That, it looked nasty. Uh, it, looked it was nasty. actually, yeah, it was actually Rock's very first finisher in WWE. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I saw him hit it on fucking gold dust in like 96. Uh, cutthroat taunt by Ben Wall and he goes up top for Air Canada and he hits it but it only gets a two count uh, Ben Wall locks in the crippler cross face uh, Kurt's about to tap but he grabs at the ankle and Ben Wall lets go and now he's in the angle lock and Chris rolls through and he's got the cross face in again Angle rolls through and he gets the angle lock again 
Benoit gets to the ropes, uh, but he pulls Benoit off and he locks in the cross face this time. And Benoit is so close to grabbing the ropes. And right as he's about to, Kurt uses his foot to push the ropes just out of Benoit's reach. So this is actually my one major complaint with this Hold on, hold on real quick. Okay, okay. Uh, Benoit rolls through this and he actually gets a pin using the ropes for the three count and Kurt Angle throws a tantrum in the ring. Like only Kurt can. Yeah. So so that that rope thing was the one thing that about this match where I was like, okay, well, Kurt Angle touched the rope, rope break time, and they didn't really do it. Then again, that's just my thing about sometimes where like the heel touches the rope and I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter if the baby, fit, not, the, not the heel, but like if the person who's not locked in the hold, uh, like the person applying the hold touches the rope, I'm like, Okay, no, you still have to break. Someone touched the rope, though. It just, that's what it did, bugs me. I feel like you're wrong on this one because Kurt starts pushing his foot uh, on the rope so Benoit can grab it. And Mike Kyoto immediately starts yelling at him. Yeah, but then it's like, then he has to break the hold. Well, there was never even a count because Benoit very quickly turned it into a pin. Ah, that's fair. That's fair. I, it's just I sh- at that point, like the ref should be saying, "Break the hold, break the hold." But small detail with what was otherwise a good match. Uh, so yeah, what'd you guys think of this match, Dean? You kind of already said it, Damon. Uh, I mean, like we said earlier, it was pretty fucking good. Um, I, I mean, there's what two matches left? One. One. I'll, I'll just say this is the best match. Like that's my answer later. This was the best match on the cards. Uh, you know what? I I love this match. Um, and I have to say, this is, I, I mentioned this during the RVD and Triple H match. This match made RVD and Triple H look even worse to me because once again, all those headlock takeovers and all the, all that like grounded wrestling, which does not suit RVD looked even worse when you have Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle go after. True. And also I have to say, this is my favorite kind of wrestling match. And let me clarify not saying this is my favorite match in general, more saying this is my favorite kind of match, like the kind of match where both guys don't just let the other person do the move. Oh, definitely. Like where it looks like they're fighting for everything they do. Like, it's not like, okay, time for the German suplex. It's like, no, I am not going to let you do this German suplex. And then the person gets a good position. Then they do the suplex, you know, like that's, I just, I really love when wrestlers make it look like they're actually like fighting for position. Uh, yeah, this match was so fucking good. Tremendous storytelling. And it was such a simple story. Both men know how dangerous and talented the other one is, but they got too much pride to ever admit it. Uh, I love the amateur wrestling in the beginning. Uh, Angle and Benoit were always great at making a pro wrestling match look like a legit fight, a legit struggle. Uh, which is what Dean was just talking about. There's a reason these two are known as some of the greatest technicians of all time. Yeah, fr- just a freaking blast. And it made RVD and Triple H look like shit. Cut backstage to the interview set, and Mark Lloyd is interviewing Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. Uh, Lloyd says Brock is moments away from defending the title against Undertaker, but this match is more about the title. It's gotten personal. And Heyman asks, you know, has it really gotten personal? Because I think it's always been personal. Uh, Paul Heyman says, anytime you try to take the title away from Brock, that's personal. Anytime you try to take away something Brock worked his entire life for, 
that's personal. And when you get personal with Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman will get personal back. Uh, and then Brock starts doing the promo, and I'm like, oh, we should have not let him do this. Yeah. Uh, Brock then says he is not sorry for what he did to Sarah, Undertaker's pregnant wife. He uh, will also not be sorry for what he does to the Undertaker tonight. Because when you have no remorse, you have no problem being WWE Unforgiven 2002. Okay. <laughs> uh, Brock shoves Mark Lloyd and then leaves. Yeah, you know what? I was going to comment on it, but you beat me to it. It's like, yep, he said the thing. He said the thing. Yeah. Um, our next segment, Bischoff is out, and he's got uh, the two ladies from earlier with him. Fink just announces them as the lesbians, and JR's pissed. He's like, yeah, nice introduction, Fink. Uh, you know what? Actually, and this is, I'm sorry to go back to this, but even during the Billy and Chuck versus Jamal and Rosie match, literally when Michael Cole was running down Jamal and Rosie's victims. Yeah, Michael yes. Cole just said, uh, their victims include lesbians. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, he he's like, oh, you know, they beat down Jeff Hardy, The Big Show, Mae Young, uh, Fabulous Moolah, The Lesbians, Superfly Jimmy Snook. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> um, Bro, imagine going to the show with your fucking parents. Uh. Ooh, oh, 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 oh. Dude, like, it's already bad enough when, like, our dad would walk in and fucking Adam Rose and the Bunny are on TV. I can't you know imagine. What, you know what, dude? Like, I got to say, like, and this, this is just me being perfectly honest here. Like, I don't have anything against uh, Rikishi at all. But, like, I feel like if I was actually running the show, I'd be like, um, how about we don't do this? That's just me, though. Dude, I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about, like, Dean, would you really want to sit with your parents while uh, two quote-unquote lesbians awkwardly rub up on each other well no because like and this is the thing about it, is that there are certain things from this era of wrestling which mind you i enjoyed this show overall a lot like i've not made no bones about that but my big thing is like there are just certain things from this era of wrestling where i'm like man i would feel super weird watching this with almost anybody who didn't already know the thing yeah um bischoff says you know i you know i love you guys talking to the crowd he says that L.A. has always stood for Los Angeles, but tonight it stands for lesbian action. Hot lesbian action. Uh, Bischoff says he interviewed hundreds of lesbians from L.A., and he wants us to meet Peaches, the brunette, and Cream, the blonde. Oh fun God. fact, fun fact, Peaches was the wrestling name of Lori Fullington, the Sandman's now ex-wife. Huh. Uh, she managed Sandman and Raven at one point, because Raven brainwashed her to join the Raven's Nest. Anyway, that's not the chick here. That They just have the same name. That yeah. had nothing to do with anything. And I, I, I think, that in was interesting. I think it was coincidental. Oh, yeah, they weren't like, bro, let's get Sandman in. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bischoff says that the ladies are only here for HLA, and they should give the crowd a sneak preview. They start rubbing up on each other, and right before they kiss, Bischoff stops them, and that gets the loud booze. He said, you know what? I changed my mind. Uh, he says the HLA will only be happening tonight with SmackDown's losing general manager, Stephanie McMahon. Lawler has fucking balls of steel because he says Stephanie's hot while Vince McMahon is in his ear. Oh, well, you, you know what my thing is, is like, I look, I'm just going to say it. If I was Vince McMahon, I'd be like, I am not letting my daughter do this on my damn show. Fuck yeah. Me. And then you, and then you remember that Vince McMahon's a fucking psycho. Yeah. He, dude, he pitched doing an incest angle with his own children. Mm. 
Yep. He's the gotta, dude's gotta weird. Gotta love old Vince. Gotta love He's not... Vince. All the marbles are not in his head. Um, JR makes things even more awkward by saying that he's known Stephanie since she was a little girl. Uh, and I did the math. JR probably would have met her because he, he comes in WWE around 93. So she probably would have been 16 or 17. So not a little girl, but also still not legal. So yes, it is weird. And then Jerry Lawler says... Well, yeah, Stephanie was a little girl. She may have had a little, you know, girl sleepovers. You nasty motherfucker. Uh, no wonder this fuck was indicted on statutory rape. Yeah, let's fucking talk about that. I did a little research. In 1993, Jerry Lawler was indicted on charges of statutory rape and sodomy of a 15-year-old girl. The charges were dropped when the girl admitted that parts, parts of the story were fabricated. That being said, it's also well-known that the people that wrestled in Memphis didn't exactly uh, check IDs, if you catch my meaning. Anyway, uh, Bischoff says he's been thinking about this for a long time. And Bischoff has two lesbians already with him because uh, he remembered the French term menage de trois, a.k.a. a threesome. Uh, I actually read a webcomic called that for years on end, and then it ended. It was a shame. What was it about, Dean? Uh, it was actually, okay, do you really want to know? You can't tell me you read a webcomic okay. and then well, not no, it tell was me about was. a guy who was living with his two roommates, and it turned out they ended up being gay lovers. So, like, they moved out and they were like, they put ads out for him to like get new roommates without his permission. And they literally wrote on it, must have cute butt on the uh, on the uh, ad on the ad for the new roommates. And so he ends up like living with like two chicks for like the rest of the comic. Nice, yeah. Uh, never never has sex with either of them, though, funny enough, despite the title of the comic. Bischoff never said <laughs> it would be one-on-one, -on -one, so it's going to be a three-way. Uh, Bischoff tells the lesbians to strip, and they take off their tops, and then they're told to take off Stephanie's jacket, and they do it. Then they give Stephanie a back rub, and then Bischoff orders a full-body massage, and then Eric says, all right, no more foreplay. I don't want any of you girls to be wet. That's gross. So we just want some HLA now. Oh uh, and right as they go to kiss Stephanie, Bischoff says, hold up, hold up. I've changed my mind. He says, ladies, you're excused. And everyone boos. And he's like, hold up, hold up. I never said you were excused, Stephanie. Uh, Eric says that he wants this to be the most humiliating experience of all time for Stephanie McMahon. So he found, listen, his words, not mine the most disgusting lesbo he could find. Can you say lesbo? I don't, I don't, I don't think I don't you're, you're supposed to, to I, say I don't that. think you can say that anymore, no. Well, listen, like I said, this is, these are Eric Bischoff's words, not mine. Yeah, yeah. 2002. Um, keep that. It's always something to keep, keep in mind when you listen to our podcast. Yeah, Eric brings out the quote-unquote lesbo, and it is a much bigger lady in a purple dress. JR is so fucking done with this. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie Stephanie looks very scared and Bischoff's laughing his ass off. Uh, he announces her as Hildegard. That actually popped me big. I was like, that's a pretty funny name, Hildegard. Uh, Eric says that not only is she a lesbo, that she's done prison time. What the fuck am I watching? Because the sure shit isn't wrestling. What the fuck is God. this, dude? Well, dude, this once again for me ties into I would, I would feel weird watching this if somebody like came in not knowing yeah. anything about these people 
Dude, wrestling sometimes just gets fucking embarrassing. Yeah, and I'm, this is why I'm just like, I'm sorry. I just would not put this on my show. Yeah. It's just me, though. Uh, Hildegard starts rubbing her, her tits. Uh, Eric asks Hildy to lay the HLA on Steph. And then Hildegard and Stephanie start making out hard. Like, they're grabbing each other's asses. And, yeah. and Bischoff is pissed. He goes, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then Hildegard Savat kicks Bischoff. Hildegard takes off prosthetics. It's actually Rikishi and drag. Uh, flying ass attack in the corner. Uh, and I think Stephanie and Kishi, like, legit, I don't know if they made out, but they definitely touched faces because there is makeup all over Stephanie's face. Oh, yeah. After this. Yeah, Stephanie was not being shy with Rikishi at all here. No. Because even, even after that, she's the one who hikes his trunks up. Yeah, I didn't catch that until they replayed it. Yeah, uh, we get a big sting face to Bischoff. Uh, Kishi and Steph dance in the ring, and Bischoff runs off disgusted. And I noted in the replay that Stephanie fucking pulled up Rikishi's uh, fucking trunks and then spanked him. Yeah, she did. Uh, so now was- we've got Stephanie going doing things with Chris Benoit and Rikishi. Dude, Stephanie's getting around. Yeah, she is. Uh, we cut to black after this, and we get the same I was there video from last week that's promoting the live events. Uh, we get a match graphic for Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar and a video package for Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar. Can you guess what the next match is? It's our main event, Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar. The WWE Undisputed Championship is on the line. Story of the match. The night after SummerSlam, Triple H beat Undertaker to become the number one contender for the undisputed title. Stephanie then signed Brock exclusively to SmackDown, so Triple H could not challenge for the title. On that week's SmackDown, Taker actually signed with SmackDown and won the Eliminator Series to challenge for the title. Brock and Heyman made things very personal during their face-to-face confrontation, and they asked Undertaker if he can really focus on a title match when he's got a pregnant wife at home. Brock at one point even put his hand on her pregnant stomach and said, life's a bitch. Things are now personal, and Taker said he will give Brock his first ever fight. Uh, Undertaker out, and uh, you guys notice anything different about my man Undertaker here? This fucking song? He came out to the You're Gonna Pay yeah, song for the first yeah, time. Yep, yep. God, that, I, I always love the line. I typed it right here. Bad asses always kick assholes' asses. It's, it's, it's actually, okay, so I want to see if you guys agree. That's actually my favorite Undertaker theme personally it's de- of all time all undertaker themes uh, i mean i can't think of another one that what i would say surpasses it really uh, okay, what would you say is better listen i love this theme don't get me wrong it's definitely top three at least probably probably number two but the ministry theme yeah oh okay that ministry three oh my okay. god that theme goes so hard okay i could see that i could definitely see that uh, the bell rings and Brock and Taker get nose to nose as much as Brock can because Brock's not a tiny guy, but compared to Taker, I mean, Taker's definitely got like four or five inches on him. Yeah, he's like, like what, like six, nine or some shit? Taker? Yeah. Yeah, he's gigantic. Uh, Taker shoves Brock away. Brock shoots for the legs, uh, but he comes up short. Taker starts throwing some strikes and this scares Brock off a little bit. Uh, then this blood feud, this extremely personal match starts with a lockup. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I have to say the match was weirdly subdued at the beginning. Yes. Uh, Brock kind of gets the advantage by shoving Taker off. They lock up again, and Brock once again shoves Taker off. Taz and Cole are putting over 
uh, just how strong Brock is that he can shove a guy like Taker like that. Uh, lock up and Taker shoves Brock so hard that he does a fucking backflip through the ropes to the outside. Yeah. If if Brock wants to make you look good, he will make you look like a million bucks. Oh yeah, like that's one thing is that you got to give Brock. He is a he for like I don't want to exaggerate, but like among big men, he might be the best big man seller ever. Yeah. I can't. Think I of thought Taker. Else. I thought Taker was pretty good in this match. Oh selling. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but yeah, Brock is a fucking freak of nature. This guy. Uh, Brock is pissed that he just got shoved like that, and he marches back into the ring. Uh, headlock by Brock Lesnar, off the ropes in a shoulder tackle, drop down in a hip toss by Undertaker. Uh, Brock clotheslined out of the ring to a huge pop. Brock is super over as a heel. People want to see him get his ass kicked. Uh, Brock is pissed, and he kicks the shit out of the ring steps. I feel like if he put his all into kicking those ring steps, he could have punted them into the fourth row. Oh, yeah. like <laughs> When he did that at first, I was like, oh, man, like, it almost gave me like flashbacks to when he threw that. Uh, oh my door. god, he threw that car door and it hit a child. Yeah, it's like holy shit, this could have gone really bad. I was gonna say, dude, that child got off pretty well from that because apparently they immediately brought him backstage and let him meet all the wrestlers and gave him a bunch of free merch. Oh, AKA, yeah. please don't fucking sue us. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure he was fine. I mean, I imagine he probably felt sore the next day. He just got a fucking car door thrown at him. Yeah, Brock Lesnar, but I uh, think he was probably fine. Um, Brock uh, goes back into the ring we get a lock up and Brock gets the advantage with a knee to the gut and a hammer lock uh, Taker reverses and hits an arm drag of all things very weird seeing Taker do an arm drag it is especially like the way he's kind of out wrestling Brock in some spots here yeah uh, we get a short arm shoulder tackle by the take dog uh, knee to the gut by Brock shoulder to the gut in the corner by Brock whip to the opposite and Brock uh, rushes but Taker gets to boot up Taker ducks a clothesline and hits a flying clothesline of his own for a two count. Taker goes for old school and he actually hits it. I did not expect him to hit it this early in the match. Uh, whipped to the corner and Heyman's up on the apron just to get big booted right back down. Uh, and during that, uh, Brock spears Taker into the corner twice. Uh, vertical suplex to the Undertaker for a two count. How many guys have lifted Taker up like that? Because it cannot be many. Yeah, they're few and far between for sure. Like the only like I guess Undertaker. I mean Undertaker. Undertaker. Yeah, Undertaker suplexed himself. No, I mean um, awesome. uh, Kurt Angle, I suppose. Do um, you think he picked him up like that? Like, I guess. Then again, maybe not. Like I guess in my head when I imagine Kurt Angle throwing uh, Undertaker, I imagine a German suplex. Because like the only other guy I can think of picking up Taker upside down. Like that would be Goldberg, and Goldberg dropped him on his fucking head. Oh God, that match was one of the, I legitimately considered quit watching wrestling. Um, anyway, we'll never match the uh, classic of when Goldberg faced the Fiend. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. Uh, punches and clubs by Brock, boots to the gut in the corner by Brock. Brock grabs an arm and a leg, and he's pulling Taker ribs first into the ring post. I thought that was a cool spot. Uh, boot to the head for a two count. Shoulder to the gut in the corner by Brock. Taker starts firing back with some suit bones. Uh, he has an Irish whip reverse on a big power slam by Brock for a two. Uh, we get a bear hug by Brock. Uh, and there's a two count uh, because Brock gets the bear hug onto the ground. He does a bridging like German suplex type pin. Uh, Taker gets out with some elbows and some punches. Taker off the ropes and a knee to the gut stops Taker right in his tracks. Uh, belly to back takedown to the mat and Brock keeps his grip. Get another two count when Lesnar bridges. 
Taker gets up and uh, Brock just pulls Taker back down to the mat twice. Uh, this kind of lasts a little bit longer than I felt it should have. Mm-hmm. Um, Taker finally gets some steam and, he's th- and he like kind of runs in a circle and then throws Brock out of the ring. Uh, Brock back and he misses a clothesline. Taker starts getting in some good body shots. Um, one, one thing I liked about those body shots too was that he kept like grabbing his arm and pulling it out of the way of the body before he'd land the punch. Oh yeah. And it just makes it look, it just little touches like that, that once again, makes it look like you're actually trying to land punches and fighting. Yeah. Uh, Taker punches Brock in the face so hard that Brock goes through the ropes to the outside. Uh, Taker to the outside and he like, okay. So he like grabs Brock's head. Like he's going to bulldog him on the floor. And then he kind of just like, in that position, like awkwardly throws him into the timekeeper's area. I don't know why he did that like that. Yeah, it looked kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, referee Brian Hebner is distracted by Heyman, and Brock uses this uh, time to grab the undisputed title and hit Taker in the head. Uh, Brock rolls in to break the count and right back out. Taker has been busted open. Uh, Taker's thrown back in, and Brock follows for two count. We have some punches to Taker. Uh, boot to the face and punches by Brock. Brock digs his fist into Taker's cut to open it up more. That was a cool spot. Um, also, like a legit thing wrestlers do. Uh, I think it's WrestleMania 17, uh, Rock Blades, and Stone Cold wasn't exactly happy with it. So he kind of he threw a, pun- a couple of punches to the forehead that were a bit snugger than usual to open it up a bit more. Because apparently Rock, um, he was about to leave to go do Scorpion King, so he didn't want any scars. Oh, okay. but Stone Cold was like, "Yeah, we could do a little bit better than this, though." Uh huh. Not uh-huh. Scaria. Yeah, yeah. Taker starts firing back with some of those damned suit bones. Whip to the corner and a clothesline. Whip to the opposite corner and another clothesline. Taker with the goozle, but Brock elbows his way out. Brock off the ropes and he eats a big boot for a two count. Uh, whip to the corner, snake eyes, big boot, and a two count. Punches to Brock some uh, suit bones in the corner. Uh, whip to the same corner he was already in, and that dumbass Brian Hebner gets crushed by Brock on the rebound. Why the fuck did you stand there, idiot? Yeah, well, you know, refs got to take a bump, man. Yeah, all the Hebners on the show had to take a ref bump. Yeah, and they were kind of obvious, too. Yeah, uh, Goozle and choke slam to Brock. Taker gets the visual win, and then Matt Hardy runs in. I really did not expect that. Hey, I told you, Matt Hardy and Brock Lesnar respect each other as valiant warriors. Brock Lesnar knows Matt Hardy was one of his greatest opponents. Damn, yes. Look, sure. I'm sorry, Matt Hardy, if there was a ranking on SmackDown, Matt Hardy would be number three on SmackDown right Bro, now. Fuck off, dude. Shut up with that. Truth I'm be sorry. told, um, when, like about halfway through this match, uh, a few minutes before he does run in, I was like, wait a minute, wouldn't it be fucking funny if Matt Hardy Matt Hardy. <laughs> and then it did. It did happen. Uh, yeah, well, Matt Hardy runs in and immediately gets clotheslined by Taker in a last ride. Well, uh, he, Brock, he, took, he took it easy on Undertaker because he wanted Brock to still shut be able to shine. Up, bro, man. Come on. I'm man. just saying. Uh, Brock gets a big spine buster and get he gets a two count. Uh, punches and clubs by Brock. Whipped to the ropes and Brock goes for a back body drop, but Taker hits the DDT. I always loved his running DDT. I can't think of anyone else that does it like that. It's really cool. I think and Kane might have done it a few times. Yeah, I think so, but like I didn't ever feel like Kane did it quite as well, even when he did do it. Yeah, Taker was able to. It, sometimes it looked like he was floating in air for a second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they get that DDT gets a two count. Taker with the cutthroat taunt. 
uh, Brock lifted for the tombstone, but Brock escapes and pushes Taker into that Brian Hebner. Uh, we get a clothesline to Taker. Uh, Heyman tosses a chair to Brock. Brock goes to hit Taker, but he, he gets a snug big boot instead. And then Taker lays this chair shot in. Woo! Nasty. You gotta sell that it's personal, man. Yeah, and then he hits another one. That chair is bent like a motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Like, my ass cheeks would fit perfectly into the indent of that chair. God. <laughs> like, it was bad. Uh, both men on the outside, and Heyman is punched into the crowd. Uh, Brock thrown back in and Taker follows. Brock's bleeding now. Whipped to the ropes in a big boot and leg drop for the close two count, brother. Uh, Taker goes for the last ride, but Brock, like, back body drops him out of it, and Taker, like, damn near lands on his feet. Like, that's just how powerful Brock was. He, like, almost made yeah. Taker do a fucking 450. <laughs> um, uh, Brock rushes Taker into the corner. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I missed, a, I missed a part here. Brock goes for the F5, but Taker lands on his feet. And that and Brock sees that and he's like, fuck it. And he just picks him up and rushes him into the corner. The two of them are just brawling. Uh, Brock grabs Brian Hebner and he threatens to beat his ass. And then Hebner gets bumped a third time because of Taker. And the match just is called off. Uh, the refs are trying to break it up, but it isn't working. Taker eventually hits the choke slam on Brock. He throws, and then he throws Brock through the unforgiven sign on the stage as the show goes off the air. What'd you guys think of this match? You know, uh, I just want to say one thing about the finish and that honestly, I, I would have honestly preferred if Brock just got the dirty win. Yeah. The crowd did not like this ended in like a bullshit. No contest. It felt kind of cheap, honestly. To me, I it didn't really it. felt like Brock's anger toward the referee was really warranted. Yeah, I thought like, you know, if they were like beating the shit out of each other, like with chairs or whatever, like they were doing while, who was it, Brian Hebner? Yeah, Brian Hebner. Uh, Earl's, I think it's Earl's son, right? Pretty sure, not, yeah. Not Dave's son, yeah. Anyway, then that'd be one thing, but they were just fighting in the corner and the ref couldn't break it up. Like, what a little bitch. Oh, that's, that's right. Like, I forgot I said that to Damon. I was like, or did I say that to you? Maybe I, I thought it. I think I said it to you. Some one of us was just like, "Bro, like, oh no!" Actually, we were watching World's Dumbest. Remember World's Dumbest on True TV? Yeah. This like is kind of the same exact thing though. There was a cop on there that he got his ass kicked by two people. It's like you should not have this job if you can't handle taking on fighting people if you really have to. There's an entire discussion I could have about about the uh, police training for fighting, but I oh no, listen, listen, bro, ACAB, bro, don't don't worry, but like, yeah, it kind of but it's the same thing here. Brian Hebner can't separate two people; he shouldn't be a ref. That's kind of his job. Yeah, and I um, guess I guess my also it's like it just feels like it didn't feel like there was like like Damon was kind of getting to. It didn't even feel like this or that was the most violent point in the match. Yeah, if it really was getting out of control, that'd be one thing. But the fact that it was just kind of like it didn't even—it didn't even feel like that. It just didn't even feel like a logical point for a finish like that to happen. Yeah, yeah, and that, that kind of pissed me off at the end after the bell had rung. There's like five or six or so referees out there, and they're doing jack shit. They're just like, hey, "Stop it! No, don't do it." <laughs> referees are so ineffective. Yeah. So that uh, I thought it was I thought the match by itself don't look too much into the finish 
like the like the literal physical part of wrestling mm-hmm. i thought was good yeah it was fine yeah. um I, my one complaint would probably be i think for the build-up of this match they started out a little too slow oh well, that's what i was I gonna think, say too yeah go ahead yeah, i think they should have been more intense just from the get-go like from jump yeah, yeah. should have been brawling right before the bell rang like that's what starts it off so now with unforgiven out of the way uh We'll start with Dean. Dean, what was your favorite segment on the show? Segment? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, damn, I didn't even think about segments. Um, so we had... So it wasn't the HLA shit. Um, you sure? I'm positive. Um, it definitely wasn't Young and the Restless guy. I don't know. I guess maybe Rico hanging out in the back with the ladies. All right, Damon, what was your favorite segment? Just for the fucking weirdness of it, the Young and the Restless fuck. I'm going to go with the Young and the Restless. I kind of liked that Eric Braden guy. He said, I'm a married man. I can't talk about that. I said, what a fucking legend, dude. Because you know he's getting so much fucking poo nanner on the side. Oh, my God. But he doesn't want to embarrass his wife too much and say that live on pay-per-view for all to see. Um, Damon, we'll start with you. What was the worst match? I'm glad you you asked that. I'm glad you asked that. The worst match? Um, let Let me refresh my memory here for a second. See, I've actually got an immediate immediate answer. Okay, Dean, go. Uh, it is easily Rob Van Dam and Triple H. Really? Yeah, easily Rob Van Dam wow. and Triple H. Yeah. I would I think I'd have to go with the eight man tag. Yeah, that'd be my thing. I was trying to think if there was like at least R V D at least R V D Triple H had a story. I suppose so. I think like if we're talking about all context put together, yeah, probably the eight man tag, but like I just felt like RVD and Triple H was more boring than it should have been. The eight-man tag at least entertained me for what time it had. That's fair. Damon, what was your answer? Oh, I, I agree with you. Eight-man tag. I was trying to figure yeah. out if there was something worse, but no, eight-man tag for sure. Uh, and what was the best match for you, Dean? Okay. Uh, Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle. The funny thing is, before we got to Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle, my answer would have been Edge and, and Eddie Guerrero. But That's fair. But... Yeah. Like I said, when we were talking about it, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit having a match where they don't look like they're actually cooperating. To me, that's just like my favorite kind of wrestling Oh, match. yeah. Um, Damon, go, go ahead. Oh, same. I said it earlier. Chris oh, Benoit, Kurt true, Angle. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to, I want to pick a top three. Number one, best match on the show is Kurt and Benoit. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'd probably have to go Edge Eddie. And then number three, I'm not even fucking around. I would say Trish and Molly. I really like that. No, match. I agree. I agree, actually. Yeah. I th- that would be my top three, too. Yeah. Well, now that WWE Unforgiven has been recapped, uh, we will move on next week to Raw and SmackDown once again. Um, I'm Trent, and for Damon. Good night, everybody. And Dean. Everyone, this has been Unforgiven. We'll see you next time.